Hello, and welcome to the first Lancet Healthy Longevity podcast of 2023. I'm Philippa Harris, the acting editor-in-chief of the journal. So we've taken a pause, but now we're back. And for our first podcast, we're discussing a really interesting paper from our May 2023 issue on COVID-19 vaccination in Syrian refugees residing in Lebanon. I'm talking to two of the authors, Stephen McCall, an assistant professor, and Sourson Abdul-Rahim, an associate professor who are both based at the American University of Beirut. Right. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Um, So your paper, which is published in the May issue of the Lancet Healthy Longevity, uh, looks at Syrian refugees in Lebanon and their access uh, to COVID-19 vaccinations. So I wondered if you could start by just setting the scene um, and telling us what the the current situation for Syrian refugees is to access healthcare in Lebanon. So as refugees, Syrians are protected by the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees. And in Lebanon, uh, a country that is not non-signatory of the 1951 Refugee Convention, in many ways, UNHCR is not only the organization that provides protection, but they also provide services to the refugees. So the situation for, um, with respect to the healthcare Syrian refugees in Lebanon is that UNHCR, and I'll start to use UNHCR instead of saying the whole name of the UN agency, UNHCR has opted for an integration model where they would support the primary health care system in Lebanon and request that Syrian refugees are integrated into the primary health care system and receive services, health care services through that system. And there is a primary health care uh, system in Lebanon. It's definitely much stronger in terms of providing child and maternal health services, not necessarily chronic disease services. So Syrian refugees are integrated into that system. So that's that's a positive uh, thing, of course. However, the system, because of the context in Lebanon, the economic crisis and the political stalemate in Lebanon, the system is actually weak and has limited capacity, not only for Syrian refugees, but actually for Lebanese citizens as well. And one of the issues that reflects on the primary health care or the public uh, health care system in Lebanon is that historically Lebanon has had a very privatized health care system with reliance on hospitals and medications rather than on prevention and primary health care. So uh, that actually impacts the senior refugees' access to health care. It impacts uh, UNHCR's ability to cover that care. UNHCR pays 85% of primary health care costs for uh, for the refugees. Then the refugees have to come up with the 15%. Usually, uh, non-governmental organizations cover some of that. The Syrian refugees cover some of it out of pocket. Uh, but, you know, that adds, all of this adds to the fragmentation of uh, basically the refugees' ability to access care. So just to sum up, Syrian refugees can access healthcare through the Lebanese primary healthcare center system. However, because of the you know, historically, the system in Lebanon has been privatized and currently because of the economic crisis, it, it's really suffering from the availability of resources, availability of medications. So that impacts both the Syrians and the Lebanese as well. And moving on to COVID-19, 
how were the COVID-19 vaccination programs implemented in Lebanon? And again, you know, was specific provision made for refugees or were they, um, you know, were they able to access them? Yeah, so, um, yeah, the Lebanese Ministry of Public Health established uh, a vaccination plan uh, for COVID-19 and its aim was to vaccinate 70% of the population by the end of 2022. Um, and so vaccinations occurred in prioritization of high-risk groups, i.e. those who were likely to be exposed to the infection over those who are outcomes, and then uh, obviously to lower risk groups throughout uh, time. So it was an exchange approach. Vaccination started in around February 2021. Main vaccine that was given was Pfizer followed by AstraZeneca. And yes, their, their aim was to include all Lebanese re uh, residents of Lebanon. So that included Lebanese, Syrians, Palestinians, and uh, other nationals. But by the end of 2022, there was about a coverage of 50% of the population had at least one dose, and then 44% of the population had um, a second dose. So your study was looking at COVID-19 vaccination in, in older Syrian refugees, but it's part of a much larger project. And I wondered if you wanted to talk about that before we delve into the findings of this specific paper. Sure. So I'll start by telling you a little bit about the study, which started before the vaccine became available. Uh, so yes, it is. Um, I mean, the paper on the vaccine in the Lancet longevity is part of uh, a larger study that aimed to examine how the barriers and the enablers and also on underlying vulnerabilities at the individual community and structural levels impact the Syrian refugees' adherence to COVID-19 preventive and control uh, measures. So when the study started, we were talking about hand washing, social distancing, wearing a mask, and seeking healthcare upon appearance of symptoms. We were not thinking about the vaccine yet. We also, a big uh, important part of the study was to utilize the uh, real-time uh, results or data that are uh, coming out of the study or the project to actually inform humanitarian programming in response to COVID-19. So we are collecting data. My colleague now will uh, say a little bit about the methodology of the study, but we were collecting data constantly and basically and feeding in that data to um, our uh, partner, uh, a humanitarian organization, in order for them to basically review, devise, and come up with new measures to respond to COVID at that time, and also to learn from the results of the study uh, for the future, to respond to future crises. So my colleague, will, uh, Steve, will talk about the methods. Yeah, just to build on uh, Selson's point, interestingly, in the first wave, we find that there's some misinformation about the use of antibiotics to tackle COVID-19 or to be a treatment. And so I worked with some video developers to tackle this misinformation in the form of a, a animation. And this animation then was disseminated in real time during study two. And the, the beneficiaries of our partner NGO. So, um, you know, it was, it was quite an interesting study to be a part of. It was almost felt responsive to, to some of the, the data that we find. And so in terms of the methods, it, it was a rotating panel telephone survey where we collected five years of data 
from older Syrian refugees who received assistance from this humanitarian organization um, and with the idea of examining how these vulnerabilities changed across time. The, the really nice thing about having a longitudinal study was that we were able to add in questions about vaccines as these uh, you know, public health measures became available. Because when we started the study in August uh, 2020, there, there was no vaccine yet available. Uh, and then 2021, we asked about intentions and then, and, you know, towards the end of the study, we actually asked about actual vaccine uptake. So it was a really nice design to to capture this information in a, a really informative way. And really, you know, one of our future papers, hopefully, is to look at this relationship between intention of vaccination and actual vaccination uptake. And just to say about our funder, which was ALRA, uh, and, and research for health and humanitarian crisis. They, they fund these uh, co-creation projects between academics and humanitarian actors in order to make sure that the evidence that we produce in academia is to you know transfer into practice and policy. And uh, you know this this study certainly did that in a number of, uh, of ways. Yeah, I mean, I'm really interested to hear more about this video. I know we hadn't planned to talk about this, but, you know, that seems such a good example of, of you know, sort of hot off the press, you know, research findings to really kind of directly improve health, you know, very quickly. You know, did, did you have any follow-up data whether, you know, those videos were accessed and whether they did help sort of change mindsets? That's a very good question. Thank you. We worked on developing these videos with with uh, our human theory partner and basically the videos were designed around the results so as as steve mentioned we had you know we discovered that uh syrian refugees a large proportion of syrian refugees believed that COVID could be cured by taking antibiotics or that people who are are infected with COVID. Uh, would show symptoms all the time, you know, this idea that somebody might be infect and infected, but not have symptoms was not um, was not salient uh, in in the community. So we designed the videos to address these two points quickly, early on in in the project. Now um, the video was disseminated by humanitarian organizations, not by us, as the as an academic institution. So our role was to uh, mainly to feed in data and to support uh, through, you know, some work on social, some background on social marketing, health communication. Uh, but it was our partners who followed up with these videos and posted them and uh, basically gathered data on um, how many views and how many likes and how many shares these videos received. So. Uh, our role was mainly to uh, to respond, uh, to feed in the data, respond, and to support in in the health communication and social marketing part. No, thank you for talking about that. Yeah, it, you know, it's it's a really fascinating um, project to to learn more about. So, returning to the the paper, your paper was sort of specifically looking at the the you know COVID nineteen vaccination in older Syrian refugees and and the predictors and barriers to to receiving the vaccines. Do you want to talk about the, the main findings from your paper? Yes. So this was a cross-sectional analysis of a multi-way longitudinal study where we had around 3,000 participants who participated in, across these waves, 
around 40% have received at least one dose of the COVID-19 vaccine and a third received two doses of the COVID-19 vaccine by May 2022. Additionally, we developed a predictive model and identified five predictors of receiving at least one dose of the COVID-19 vaccine. And these predictors were age, sex, uh, residence. What do I mean by residence? I mean living either inside or outside an informal tent settlement, education, and having pre-existing intentions to receive a COVID-19 vaccine, uh, which is reassuring, uh, I guess, what has an intention to receive uh, a vaccine that well, was retained in our model. And, you know, we are applying uh, an approach, so prognostic models, which are usually used in clinical settings, we've applied this approach to um, a humanitarian context. And we really hope that um, perhaps this model can be used to help inform future outbreaks. You know, these are predictors that can be used, that are useful for, in terms of flu vaccine, perhaps for older Syrian refugees or cholera, for example, we have a cholera outbreak in Lebanon. So um, perhaps this model can be used to identify those individuals that are high risk or the risk of, of receiving a vaccine. And of, you know, the, the main barriers you found to vaccination, you know, what, what do you think is the best way to, to overcome these barriers? So some of the barriers are about misinformation about the vaccine. So in, in another paper, for example, we looked at some beliefs about the vaccine, whether the vaccine vaccines are in general useful, whether the, va- the COVID vaccine is safe. So I think one of the first things to work on overcoming is misinformation um, about the vaccine, particularly the fact that it was a new vaccine. It was a vaccine for, you know, for an infection that people know very little about. Another issue um, in the context of Lebanon is also to work on reducing logistical barriers for uh, receiving the vaccine. So in the case of Lebanon, you know, people had to register on a platform. They had to put in, you know, their name, their um, nationality, some information about their birth date, some information about them. Some older adults actually needed were were not like literally literate with um, technology. So they needed uh, support with this. And there were volunteers from UNHCR and other um, NGOs who were helping, who were going to some you know areas with informal tented settlements and, and helping older adults. But it was really, and it continues to be really important to work on reducing logistical barriers to registering for the vaccine and to receiving the vaccine as well. In the context also of Syrian refugees, there are some security issues. So UNHCR records currently records around 800,000 Syrian refugees who are registered with UNHCR. But there's a larger number of Syrian refugees in Lebanon who have been dropped or were not registered with UNHCR and who um, a, a proportion of them do not have legal residency in Lebanon. So uh, they feel insecure and they would not like travel from one place to another if there's, let's say, a checkpoint or if there's police station because of fear of being stopped and you know being deported so again addressing misinformation about the vaccine uh, the covid vaccine in particular reducing logistical barriers and also 
you know, security issues, addressing security issues, which would not be easy in the context uh, of Lebanon, particularly in the current context where there's quite a bit of like anti-refugee rhetoric and there's a push for uh, return or deportation of refugees. And you talk about, you know, vaccine misinformation, which has obviously been a, a huge problem globally. Do you see differences in the way the sort of the general population responded to the vaccine versus the refugee population? You know, when you're a very vulnerable group, sometimes, you know, the, the misinformation can can spread faster. And what did you also see um, in the general population sort of hesitancy over the vaccine? So I think because we find differences in where our participants were more likely or less likely to receive the vaccine, i.e. those living inside informal tented settlements were more likely to receive the vaccine. This really gives us an idea that perhaps they were easier to reach, particularly maybe with information and health promotion. Whilst globally, refugees, you know, a small proportion of refugees actually live in informal tented settlements. So extra efforts have to be made to those who are uh, integrated in, in terms of uh, residential housing with the host population. And so they're, they're a much harder population to reach in, in terms of, of health promotion uh, and perhaps tactically misinformation. Great. Well, yeah, thank you so much, um, both of you, for taking the time to speak to us today. I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to add. Eric, thank you for inviting us. It's a pleasure. Great. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely look for um, further results from this study with, with great interest. So thank you so much.